Hi there, my name is Paddy Butler, and this podcast is brought to you from Liberia, a bookshop by Second Home. Three Women by Lisa Tadeo is really making waves at present, and because of its subject matter, has opened up further important points of discussion about abusive relationships and vulnerability. The brilliant Clemence Biu of Second Home caught up with Lisa Tadeo for a fascinating discussion. That's on the way in a sec, but before, a couple of related titles which are worth a read on this subject. Eve was shamed by one of Britain's top barristers, Helena Kennedy QC, takes a really interesting look at our male-dominated legal system. Kennedy shows how the overall system is heavily weighted against women either side of the dock. When I Hit You, or a portrait of the artist as a young wife, is the brilliant debut fiction title by Mina Kandasamy. Now, I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking that Kandasami has got to be in the mix for a big prize very soon. No doubt about that. And I think the technique she's employed for her new novel, Exquisite Cadavers, is pretty genius. So I can't wait to get stuck into that myself. But now let's go catch Clemens Biu in conversation with Lisa Tadeo. So my first question is, why did you write this book? Uh, I, I was asked um, to write a book about any subject that I wanted, which mm-hmm. was kind of a cool thing. But at the same time, it was really frightening. So I, I just started looking at a number of books that I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not even books that I liked, authors that I liked, like Tracy Kidder and Janet Malcolm. And one of the books that I read was Thy Neighbor's Wife by Gates Elise. He was an American journalist. He spent 10 years um, researching sex and taking the pulse of sexuality in the country in mm-hmm. the late 70s and early 80s. And he spent a lot of time in swingers communes. And it was, um, he operated a massage parlor Right. Or like happy endings. Where okay. He like was one of the people who got the happy endings to really be able to like really get immersive. So while I admired the immersive quality of the book, it was extremely male. Right. So I wondered what a book about desire would look like told from a female perspective. Mm. And you obviously, so you um, spent an incredible amount of time with these three women and you got very kind of immersed in their lives. How did you find them and how did you gain their trust? I started by, I would just ask people like, you know, post on Craigslist and uh, I drove across the country six times. I posted signs up on like tree branches and on tree uh, branches. <laughs> cars to go. I, do you guys have cars to go here or something similar? It's like a car that you can like rent on the street. Yes. Okay. We have a version of that called drivey. I think Okay. you can like rent your neighbor's cars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it was, I put them on like the glass, the windshield and stuff, hoping that, you know, whoever. And what did the message say exactly? It was was like unrequited love question mark. Like they were all different, hoping to get like different varieties of people with different sort of situations. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, there were like little, strips at the bottom with my email on it Mm -hmm. like the way that you would like find a babysitter yeah and uh did it say you're like a writer and wanting to write a book yeah it was about but it was very short like Mm -hmm. it wasn't like a long like you know I was just hoping it would catch someone's eye and then they would um get in touch and so the first thing I the first real thing I did that um that was for the book that ended up in the book was I moved to 
rural Indiana from New York City. Mm -hmm. And I kind of did it without telling anyone, like my friends or anything, because I just wanted to do it and I didn't want anyone to, um, to question it. And I started a discussion group there and a number of women came in and one of the women I found so compelling that she ended up being my first subject. Mm -hmm. And the second one, Maggie, who... So that was Lena. Lena, yeah. yes, um, who husband no longer squawked in and said her husband didn't want to kiss her on the mouth anymore. Yeah. And then she started up a relationship with her high school boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And that group, that discussion group, obviously it features, is that the one that features in the book? Um, yes. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. But I, in the book, I kind of take myself out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then the second woman, I was in North Dakota researching a different um, group of people. And I read a newspaper story about this young woman who had just, a trial had just ended. Mm. She had just come forward to, um, to take her former high school teacher to trial for an alleged relationship that she had with him when she was underage and, um, he was her teacher mm -hmm. and it, it didn't really end well for her. Mm -hmm. uh, what I was struck by was that there were like these hours of phone calls after 11 PM at midnight and still nobody like believed it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I drove to North Fargo the next day and I introduced myself to her mom and asked if she would meet me. Mm -hmm. And then the third woman I had moved to Newport, Rhode Island, where she's from and I, because I was researching two other people there and someone introduced me to Sloan mm -hmm. by saying that um, there were two rumors going around. The first was that she, her husband liked to watch her have sex with other men in front of him. Mm -hmm. And the second was that she not only did, her husband wanted to have sex with her every day and not only did she um, allow it, but she enjoyed it. So I thought that was really interesting. That, yeah. that would be a criticism and a judgment. Yeah. And so did you, were you upfront about the fact that you were writing a book or you're yeah. doing research and, oh, yeah, totally. and these women were, cause you, you mentioned in the book that actually a few people kind of few subjects fell away yeah. during the process of the book. So what, ha what happened there? Well, what I would do is I would say, you know, let's just talk. And if at any point you want to stop or you want something taken out, then that's totally cool. So yeah. People did that, which was totally fine because I don't think I would have been able to get as much from anyone mm -hmm. if I didn't sort of give them this this very free sort of like, you know, we're just talking. If you want to be in the book at the end of this, then great. And yeah. if not, then don't worry about it. Yeah. Were there any people that you like kind of went all the way with and then in the end they were like, yes. can't do it? Yep. A woman that I'd moved to Los Angeles for after six months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was that really yeah, devastating? It was, it was towards the end of the book too. Like I had her in there. Yeah. It was devastating. But I also, I mean, I mean, I understood it. So, mm. you know, I wasn't gonna, I mean, it was just hard from a sort of time standpoint of too. Of course. Yeah. Yes. It was devastating. I mean, it's such an intimate kind of portrayal. Um, yeah. And so what do you think for Lena, Maggie and Sloan, what made it that they were willing to put these stories out, especially for Maggie, whose kind of story is already on the public record? Well, I think for Maggie, it was the most important because her story was not told yeah. in her yeah, voice. Yeah. It was told predominantly from the teacher's voice um, and his perspective. And so sh to her, after she gained, after she sort of began to trust me because she had been really badly screwed over by the local mm. media in her state and town. So after she understood that I wasn't doing anything, I wasn't doing like a 
article. I was doing a book and I was going to take my time with her. She, I mean, in the end, she's said that it's given her closure and she feels great. So mm. for Maggie, it's actually been the best. And I think that for her wanting to talk was just, I mean, everybody just wants to talk yeah. about themselves, yeah. Yeah. you know. I found that theme just so like poignant and like, especially in the context of everything that's happened over the past few years, like the Me Too movement and the whole Brock Turner mm -hmm. story. And mm -hmm. I just, I don't know how we can move forward in the sense of like, we've kind of put into writing the laws and we've said, this is what rape is. This mm -hmm. is what sexual assault is. Like we know what it is on paper, but there's such an impasse of like, women just won't, aren't believed. There's like this new Netflix um, TV show as well called Unbelievable, which is a, a similar story mm -hmm. where like, yeah. do we believe these women? Do we not believe these women? So how can we, I don't know if you have a kind of perspective on that. How can we like move forward and actually start prosecuting these these offenses when ultimately it's such an intimate act that never happens in the presence of anyone but the victim and the perpetrator. Yeah, I mean, the the sort of, you know, there's two sides to every story. I think mm. that, I think one of the biggest problems we have is um, is with not, not kind of not looking at nuance. And that's mm -hmm. not to say that, um, it's just to look at extremes, like even with Maggie, for example, so the teacher did something terrible. And he was not only older and not only her teacher, but and not only in a position of power, but he mm. was somebody she really looked up to. Mm -hmm. And he was telling her she was, you know, beautiful and in, and were, um, even bigger than that, intelligent, worthy, where she didn't hadn't felt that way prior. Mm -hmm. And so for someone to give you that much sense of self-worth self, yeah. mm -hmm. and then to suddenly go mm -hmm. is a really awful thing. Yeah. So he did a lot of bad things in yeah. addition to the crime. Um, but the other thing that I always think is, you know, I, I always want to have the nuance there, which is that Maggie had a desire too. And even though mm -hmm. his desire was wrong and mm -hmm. it hurt her, her desire, not talking about it and pretending that it wasn't there, that it's just a man victimizing, to I mean, totally just not hers was just not there. And you can say that he, you know, he orchestrated it, you know, et cetera. But she also, it made her feel good. Yeah. And she wanted. She engaged yeah. In it. And so for me, it's like that nuance, like, you know, people are just like, what an, and it's like, yes, he is bad, but let's not just go, you know, victim and yeah. perpetrator mm. because that just like, I think that victimizes the victim a little mm -hmm. bit more. Like, let's hear the whole, let's hear her story yeah. and not just go, oh, he's terrible or he's right. You know, it's like yeah, there's yeah. not in the middle. And the whole like legal and like criminal element to it actually kind of came after the fact of the whole story, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it came after, she hadn't told anyone mm -hmm. um, until then. And the first person she told was a friend who said, you know, he's done it to you. Um, there's no way he, you know, probably did it before and he'll definitely do it again kind of a thing. And because she was studying to be a social worker, which she is now and she's doing really great just because mm -hmm. I like to say that because it, you know, I know that her story is really upsetting to a lot of people. Mm. Um, but her, anyway, her friend said that and that's when she kind of, also he had been named North Dakota's teacher of the year. So it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you see like, you know, a guy who's raped you wearing a time's up pin, you're like, uh, what the, f you know? Yeah. So there's a different level there of, um, of someone, 
you know, like reaching a certain point while you have basically lost everything. It's hard to kind of, how do you like make space for nuance in like the legal and criminal system? Well, I mean, I guess her age wasn't like, there's nothing nuanced about that. Yeah. It, it, that's the thing there was like, that's, that's, that's the law. And that's the Mm. thing. It's like one of the things that I've always felt and, and said is that, you know, a lot of people, when someone just completely drops you on, on off the, you know, just completely drops you from their lives, yeah. you can't do anything about it, mm-hmm. right? For the most part, you can be sad and you can talk to your friends. For Maggie, she couldn't talk to her friends mm-hmm. because it was she couldn't talk to her family. She had to pretend that her depression was just coming out of nowhere. Um, mm. But also, also she. Um, she had this power of her age and the fact that it was a crime. And so that power, when, whereas, you know, he had the power of dropping her, she had the power of saying, you hurt me and yeah. you weren't supposed to because yeah. of how young I was. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think the legality of it, you know, I think that obviously there's nuance to everything else, but the legality is, you know, it, it's, a, it's power also. Mm-hmm. And sh- that's when she had the power. And mm-hmm. then it shifted again and then it, it keeps shifting. But I think the reason it shifts so much is because we don't like, I haven't heard anyone say that they don't believe Maggie. Yeah. Like anywhere. Yeah. And I think that's because, you know, I think that, and I said this to Maggie when I started writing the story and the reason I'm like, listen, I have to put in the parts about you liking this or liking that. Yeah. I have to put in the entire truth because if I don't, then you know, people will just it's again not, not believe, yeah, yeah, and just again not believe you mm-hmm. because it'll just be black and white, and people don't like, like they think they do, but mm-hmm. then when they see it, they're just like, okay, well, they have to make a decision, and it's like, you know, I mean, make a decision, but make a decision after you hear everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, did you at any point when you were doing this research and spending time with these women, did you ever did you become a player in their stories? No. I never wanted to insert myself into the trajectory of mm-hmm. their lives. So I never, I was always the listener mm-hmm. and I never gave advice. Right. Did they ask you for advice? Yeah, Lena did a lot. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like, what should I do? Tell me. It was just kind of like, oh God, what do you, you know, what do I do? Kind what of do a thing. do you think of the situation? Yeah. And yeah. I would just, you know, I would just say, I don't know. You know, when I had something similar, this is how I felt. Um, and it was just for her, it was just, I was just doing it one, because I just wanted her to feel okay. And two, I just didn't want to advise her. And I didn't say like, I can advise you because it will, you know, it'll be journalistically, um, just immoral or whatever. I didn't say that, but I think she understood, Yeah, you know, it was like implicit. Mm -hmm. And did, how did, how did these stories like affect you personally? I... You know, it was, it's funny because when someone asked me that, it's like, you know, it was like a decade of my life. So mm-hmm. on top of it, those affecting me, like life affected me. Sure. Like yeah. I, you know, gained, I grew 10 years older. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, though, that in specific, um, you know, they, they made me feel that women judge other women mm-hmm. more than men judge women or men judge men. And that that's, I learned that that was, I always kind of knew that, but I learned that it was so pervasive. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was probably the thing that, that made me feel the saddest about the state of females. So in terms of the, 
process of writing it because it is quite fascinating to have a project that lasts so many years and I'm sure there are lots of ups and downs and um, something that really struck me like just the whole time I was reading the book was it just reads like a novel it reads like this really kind of heartbreaking book that you feel like a visceral kind of connection to at many points of it and I had to kind of remind myself regularly that it was a work of nonfiction. so I kind of kept asking myself what's the balance between you know the woman's voice in each story and your own telling of the stories so when you came to actually writing the book what, what was your process and how did you decide the narrator's voice in it well I didn't want to be a voice so I um you know, I mean, obviously it's my writing, mm-hmm. but I wanted to, what my writing did was be specific mm-hmm. the way that you would be in fiction, the way that you can be in fiction because you can make it up. Yeah. With this, what I did was, you know, I spent two years with each of them mm-hmm. and months with other people. Um, I lived in their towns. I watched them for hours, like mm-hmm. thousands of hours. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I asked them the same questions hundreds of times, hundreds of times. I mean, I asked them the same questions very often. Mm-hmm. With Maggie specifically, I would be like, you know, and then how long were you waiting for that text? Where was your phone? What were you wearing? Um, and if she didn't know, I just wouldn't include that detail and I would just move on right, to something okay. else. So it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't like, oh, she was wearing a blue shirt unless she was wearing a blue shirt. I asked her the brand of the blue shirt, right. where she got it, like stuff like that. Um, and I think that creates the sort of feeling of being inside someone's head. Yeah. Um, and with Lena, who was kind of, it was, she was the most, the easiest to just, I mean, she just told me everything. Yeah. And so with her, for example, she would go and meet her lover, um, the high school lover who she started seeing after her husband kind of bodily abandoned her. And they would go to this place called the river. And so she would go there to meet him. They would have this, you know, intimate encounter. Mm. And then she would leave and come and tell me. I was like waiting at like a winery down the road and she would come and tell me everything. Mm-hmm. Or she would Facebook message me and she, we would often go back there together so that I could like take in the wow. sounds and smells and like ask her things like there. Did she did she have like other confidants in her life? No. You were, I was the only one. Right. Yeah. So that must have been, I don't know, not healing, but um, that must have been really important to her, yes, like emotionally. It was. Yeah. And it continues to be because I still talk to all of them. But mm-hmm. with Lena, like, you know, we'll just pick up. Like, I, I've never talked to her about me in a sense, even though we're close. It's like I'm always asking her questions. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like, when you're always asking someone questions, you kind of fall into that rhythm. And like, it'll start dynamic. Kind of, yeah. 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 Even if it's not like an interviewer. Yeah. Because for her, like, obviously her husband's abandoned her. This lover that she has is there for her, but only in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's also living living in a particular, like, convention of, I guess, I don't know if you'd describe, like, small town America, like, quite a conventional, Mm -hmm. conventional life. So that must be, like, stifling for her. Yeah, it is. Um... I actually was also interested in her. So she has a few different kind of medical issues. Like she's got fibromyalgia and even that people are telling her like it's in your head. Like yeah. no one really believes um, all of this. And someone with like Maggie's on medication as well. Mm-hmm. And then Sloan was put on diet pills when she was like mm-hmm. 10 years old. Um, so I just like, you just see this kind of pattern of like, whether it's the pharmaceutical industry or whether it's the patriarchy, the way that like, 
women's sexuality is so conditioned by the patriarchy and also just the way their emotional lives are so tied to men, like kind of disconnects you and divorces you from your own body. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Did you have any kind of like, and thinking especially about just like, there is a lot of medicalization in the States and, um, you know, especially compared to here in the UK, like it, it's a shock when you go to the, U- the US and you see commercials for, for medicines, like to have them sold to you is like, it feels quite weird. Um, did you, does that like give you any kind of particular opinion on the pharmaceutical industry or like the kind of wider culture where we're always treating our symptoms and treating our feelings in a way with medication? rather than using them as markers and like indications of something deeper that's going on and maybe more difficult to treat. Yeah, no, I definitely think so. Um, but you know, I, then again, I think, I think medicine does help a lot of people. And I think sometimes medicine can be a placebo. I don't know, you know, I didn't, I didn't research medicine, but I think with Lena, one of the interesting things that her doctor said was that, you know, she just needed like, An orgasm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. like, you know, I, that was obviously shorthand for like someone to like want to see. Mm-hmm. And um, and when you have like, you know, often like you can be in really like Maggie had lost her and I cut out a lot of that part. But Maggie had lost her cousin. He had um, he had died and she she uh, was grieving very deeply. But this thing with the teacher was also brewing. Mm-hmm. And so that excitement, like, kind of, you know... Gave her a bit of life. Yeah, and, pat- mm-hmm. and like, just mollified the pain. Mm-hmm. So the story, the, the book starts with a story about a woman who's not one of three women, which is that of your mother, mm-hmm. of her, um, as a young woman in Italy, she would be followed on her daily walk to work by a man who was masturbating, which is not, like, a story I've never heard before, but it also just... And just your heart sinks when you hear about it. Um, and I mean, it's clear that, you know, the themes of the book come from a very personal place. So to what extent would you say that this book is like a personal manifesto? And if so, like, what's the message of that manifesto? Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a personal manifesto. Mm. What I think is that I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, I had lost a lot of my family by the time I started the book. So when I was talking to people, I think that people who were very, felt very alone, Mm. um, which passion causes, like intense passion causes lows often, um, that because I sort of had this like sheen of grief on me, that they were more apt to talk to me and I was more I I didn't want them to feel alone Mm -hmm. without sounding like you know I'm this like philanthropic human being it was just like a natural reaction so I think like a natural point of connection yeah exactly so I I don't you know it's not about a manifesto so much as like the feeling of aloneness is something that I think is really terrible and I wasn't exactly I wasn't exactly like you know I wasn't like I'm gonna make people feel unalone you know it wasn't that but it was um it, it one you know I think that one of my friends after I told her I moved to Indiana, uh, she, I was telling her about Lena and how he mm. was driving. She was driving four hours to meet this guy for like 15, 20 minutes, and she said that was so pathetic. And I reminded her that she had done the same thing. Yeah, we all with a guy, <laughs> yeah. yeah, who was like a VP at Goldman Sachs, and that's like the thing. It's like you know it's a different window dressing, but it's the same. It's the same thing. So mm. what I wanted to do 
I guess this is my, my, not manifesto, but this is my really grand hope was that I could tell stories in so intimate and specific a way that anyone would be able to kind of see themselves. Mm -hmm. And that was my hope. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I felt a really visceral connection to it. Like moments of describing, like waiting for someone to text you back or like kind of not wanting to put yourself out there, but really just wanting a guy to reach out to Mm -hmm. you and also trauma, like, which Mm -hmm. I think is just so, I don't think people realize how common it is for all women and like, you know, different levels of trauma, obviously, but it felt so familiar. I think women feel really vindicated by this book in a lot of ways. And that makes me think like, how have men reacted to this? And is there anything that you hope men will take away from this book? I, you know, I think that I haven't heard any sort of negative male reactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best one I heard was from uh a male reader said that until he read it, he didn't realize how indifference could be so wounding. And that was Mm. probably one of my favorite things because I think that something that not just women, but a lot of people who are in like not the position of power in a relationship will wait for a text or a call Mm -hmm. or something and they won't get it for like a lot or they won't get it ever again. And the sort of indifference of, you know, not just even the people never calling again, but like, let's say, you know, you text a guy Mm. and it's like, Hey, what's going on? And he doesn't respond because he's like doing all this other stuff in his brain. He's like working. He's like, you know, hanging out with his friends. He maybe he's going on a trip. Um, and then like a week and a half, two weeks later, whatever, when he's ready to hang out, he'll just write back as though nothing ever um, lapsed. And so that's the thing that I think is really, is really hurtful for people. And so when that man said that, I felt really, I felt good that he took that away. There's something so angering about that kind of situation where ultimately the man controls the parameters Mm -hmm. of how you interact with each other. Um, and that was like to a technical level with Maggie Mm -hmm. and like, yeah, exactly. Her teacher, Asking her to delete the text and yeah. like only setting certain times when they could be in touch with yeah. each other. Um, and yeah, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, really, it's really, it was it's crazy. Yeah. So many people and including yourself in the book commented on the kind of lack of diversity in the narratives told here. Um, so it doesn't feature any people of color. Uh, any trans individuals or like women who love other women. And you mentioned that in the book as well. Um, So I'm just wondering with that in mind, like, do you have any interest in investigating kind of other forms of female desire? And could you slash would you embark on a similar project again? I mean, of course I have interest in it. You know, I don't, Mm. I don't think that um, I didn't want it to be three. It wasn't intentional. Um, No, not at all. And they're like, you know, there were people who, fell away. I also think that, you know, I'm a white woman, you know, like I think that a black transgendered woman would probably feel more comfortable talking to, you know, I Mm, think that there's that mm. because I did speak to people, you know, who I, you know, I don't know, like uh, we connected as human beings, but I think at a certain point, if you don't feel like someone like is the same type of person as you and doesn't have the same life experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That they would be less inclined and so they wouldn't be as as intimate as these women were. And I don't I don't know if that's really the reason, but what I do know is that these were the three that gave me the most. Yeah. I had fifteen people in my first draft, you know. Right. 
and there were people of color in there and there were there were no transgendered people in there but there were in my first 30 mm-hmm. you know and so um, I kept whittling it down and one of the things that happened is just that these three were like not just the most the largest in word count like I had 20,000 words more mm-hmm. of each of them than the others no not just than the others of extra and like right. tens tons more than the others uh-huh. so it was word count it was um, and then it was just like like you would read the three stories and you would read the other 13 mm. or 12 or 10 whenever it cut getting whittled down and you would just like it was like filler mm-hmm. and even I saw that but when I gave it to other people they were like I just care about like these three yeah and so you know for me I think that the amount that they gave me made me feel like they would be the best mm-hmm. for people seeing themselves in them I don't I don't think um I don't I wanted it to transcend color and rate and you know sexual predilection um I wanted it to do that I even wanted it to to sort of transcend gender in mm-hmm. a sense because I don't think I think that it's our passion and pain that aligns us obviously we have different you know experiences based on our race and stuff but my friend who was white in New York had the same experience yeah. as Lena she just didn't have it in Indiana the specifics were just different, yeah just but different the, the exactly. heart the core of it was the same right yeah. so that's what that's what I felt right away mm-hmm. I think that's what people connect to. Yeah, that's well what I expected. But I mean, I understand it. It's also not called a hundred women, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. and yes, to the second question, I would love to. I mean, I don't, I don't think I want to do any more desire. And I think that someone else can do mm. it, you know. And like, I hoped at the end of the day that it would open up just more conversation in general. It has I for mean, other, you know, for uh, everybody. Yeah. Do you, what themes are kind of calling to you at the moment? Um, well, my novel is coming out next year. It's female rage. So I guess that might be more of a personal manifesto. And, um, the next nonfiction book I'm looking to do is about grief. Great. It's exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Pretty poignant and important stuff there. Today's commitment to her craft is truly awe-inspiring. As always, check out our full program listings at secondhome.io.